0: Christmas present sitting in a barge somewhere, sorry, life has changed hasn't it and uh, we're watching uh, so many things taking place, the uh, storms the other night were horrible, Uh, people's lives were changed overnight, churches leveled to the ground, Uh, over 100 people that we know of are dead and many more injured, and it's a sad uh, thing to think about this time of year when we're trying to celebrate joy, and uh, these things happen, and so we don't want to forget brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who've gone through some very traumatic events uh, during this time. We're in a series, I entitled the series, Living in a State of Readiness, and uh, we've been looking at some of the characters in the story of the birth of Jesus. What is... uh, amazing to me as I read this story year after year is the fact that there were key players in the component of God's plan that were living in a state of readiness. They were ready to be used. And you got to just remind yourself that in our culture we have so much access to information. So you can be uh, energized by what you see on TV, on the radio, uh, through uh, podcasts, all kinds of ways that you can stay in touch with uh, what's happening around us, the world, the Word of God is being read and taught all over the place, and so we have such access. But you can imagine that these people that we're looking at who lived in a time when God had been silent since the last prophet Malachi all the way to the birth of Christ, 400-year period where God was not speaking. And so those folks who were faithful in those in, 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 those, in those days, especially in that last time frame where we're coming to our text today. Uh, so many who are faithful and trusting the silent God. And it just is a challenge to me that because we have such access to truth and knowledge and the word of God, that sometimes we're not faithful on day Monday or day Friday. And we uh, lose sight of the fact that saints of old who are examples to us were faithful through thick and thin, through trial and trouble, uh, through darkness and patience and silence. And they stayed faithful. And they did not have the Holy Spirit living in them. And so that's just a reminder to us to take something from these folks who were faithful in those days and the story that they bear for us today. Uh, I've entitled today's theme, Praise to the God Who Remembers. And uh, I'm going to start back in, uh, in chapter 1. We're at verse uh, 37. As you heard last week, I couldn't read without my glasses, so I will put them on to discipline myself to wear them. We're going to start in uh, this uh, text. Uh, first, we're reading here that Mary is on the tail end of hearing from the, from the angel Gabriel about her own birth. And uh, so... Uh, God reminds her after he told her that the Holy Spirit would overshadow her and that's how she would become pregnant with the Son of God. Verse 37, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Another thing to remind ourselves about today in our own life. Nothing will be impossible. And then Mary, of course, said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I would recommend uh, if you're a, a young person today and your task is to take out the garbage, a great thing to say to your parents is, let it be according to the bond servant of my parents. And uh, then go, go ahead and do what you're supposed to do. I think that'd be a great blessing. So pick that up and learn from Mary. Uh, now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, that is in Elizabeth's womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then she says, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. I uh, always, uh, when I read this every year, think about Mary, first of all. Elizabeth is about 90 years old. She's uh, become uh, pregnant from her husband, as foretold. She's bearing a son in that age of her life, which is an absolute miracle in itself. But you have Mary, who's been told by the angel that she's going to have this child. And uh, the responsibility that was put on Mary is just incredible. You've got to understand that she was probably 12 to 13 years old. That was the culture of the day. Parents didn't protect their kids from the world like we do. And so uh, while some of us as junior hires were watching cartoons, Mary was uh, working uh, hard, uh, learning the word of God as well, uh, taking life in and preparing herself for a life uh, married to someone. So she was betrothed at a very young age. Uh, and and here's the thing, you know, finding out that you're pregnant, how do you handle that? How do you... How do you approach your parents and say, a miracle happened, God impregnated me? (laughs) Well, you know how that go over in our culture. Uh, To uh, say to Joseph and his family, "Uh, Joseph, I've been faithful. Uh, This is a work of God. I'm pregnant and uh, it's all God's doing. You can imagine the the sense of that and Joseph's parents uh, considering that and then her personal friends who knew her. The one thing Mary had going for her was that she was, uh, had a character and a nature about her that most around her would have been uh, confused because Mary, Mary was so straight, so right, so good uh, that it could be hard to imagine she would break the rules and have a relationship with someone. And so that was a quandary that this young, young teenager had to uh, uh, face in the first part of her life and that says a lot about her already. And we can't begin to know uh, just beyond that other thoughts she would have, but certainly she's uh, answered and responded in a fantastic way to the angel when she, when she says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Oh, oh, I'm here. I'm your servant. Do what you will, she says. Let it be to me according to your word. What a great response. Anyway, she hears about uh, Elizabeth. The angel told her about Elizabeth, so you can understand she'd want to go there uh, to have a... Uh, just a, a talk with someone who would understand I and mean, somebody who's going through the same kind of thing uh, as her uh, as her aunt and uh, understanding that her aunt bore the uh, sadness and sorrow of being barren all of her life. And suddenly she's pregnant. And so uh, these two had a great time, I'm sure, together. Uh, but obviously we, we read here that as she comes to this home and she gives a greeting uh, it says, it says in "Verse and it happened, verse 41, and it happened. Uh, whenever you read that, uh, we're going to read an epitaph, something, uh, something in the story that's fantastic. And it happened, and it happened this way. Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. And inside Elizabeth, this baby who would be now six months old, John the Baptist child, jumps for joy at the voice of at the greeting that he hears in the womb. Now, that can sound very bizarre and very hard to understand. If you're a scientist, we would just say, well, that's just a, that was just a freak uh, kick of the baby. I mean, babies do that. So hear a sound and the baby moves. That's all, that's all true, except for, in this case, this is God, the Holy Spirit, working in the circumstance. And we'll know that by something that is said. So uh, you see in, in the text here that Mary was immediately filled with the Spirit when her child leaped in the womb. That means that simultaneously the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason, how we don't understand this, filled John in the womb and filled Elizabeth at the same time and enabled her then to say things that she didn't even know. So when we think about the text, she had no idea that Mary would have been pregnant. Uh, No news would have come to her yet. Mary just uh, discovered this and took off in a flash to see her. Uh, She would not have known what was prophesied about the child in Mary's womb. Uh, None of that. But she uh, resounds with this uh, understanding of what's taking place. Blessed are you among women. Uh, That's her acknowledging that Mary is having a very unique birth. This is the Messiah being born. She says, blessed is the fruit of your womb, Uh, Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? How would she know this? Except by the Holy Spirit, and it's a miracle in itself. Amazing, amazing story of what's taking place here. But there's something that we uh, might want to know that uh, as we think about this sort of move that has taken place, and uh, it's recorded in John chapter 3, John the Baptist, who's now the baptizer, Years have gone by and he's speaking and he's speaking according to having seen and heard uh, the one who was in the womb of Mary. And he makes this comment uh, to uh, to those who were listening in uh, chapter in verse twenty nine of chapter three. And here's what he says. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, first of all, how would he know to say something like that? That sounds like the New Testament. That sounds like Ephesians chapter 5. How how would he know that? Except that uh, we know back in Isaiah chapter 62, uh, at verse 5, there's a statement about the Lord coming to Zion and being married to his people, to his land and to the people of Israel. And uh, he is the bridegroom, it says in that text. So John the Baptist may be referring back to that. Uh, But certainly as he says this, it's it's interesting. And then it goes on to sort of identify what he's actually saying here. Uh, So not only that, he says, uh, uh, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine, look at this, is fulfilled. John the Baptist is referring back to when he was in the womb. He's saying, this joy is now being fulfilled. What joy? The joy I had when I first knew he was here. Uh, the, the joy that I've been looking forward to and knowing that I would introduce him. He's referring to all of this in context. But I thought about this statement and I thought, you know, what an appropriate time to just pause for a second and remind us that the voice of the bridegroom, the voice of of the one who loves you and loves me. I don't know how you would respond. When I read the Gospels and I know when Jesus is speaking, I am to always try to imagine myself in the context of being there and hearing him. But even, even not, I have heard his voice. Maybe you have certainly at various times in my own heart and life. When I heard a call to salvation, I I heard his voice through someone else's speaking, perhaps through the word of God. But I I sensed it was him speaking to me and calling me. But there's a sort of this understanding here that the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ should cause us to stand. Uh, The very presence of him and his words should cause us to stand and give him the ovation he deserves. This is all about praise, this whole text. The voice is something that should cause us to have great joy, as we sang today. Uh, This was an unusual thing that happened, yes. And Elizabeth responds back in our text. She responds by, first of all, being she was immediately filled with the Holy Spirit, and this caused her to prophesy. And so we have then this prophecy that she gives, probably the first and maybe even the only prophecy she ever delivered. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Uh, All young Jewish women, evidently, I'm told, and uh, as you read many historians, uh, dreamed of being the mother of the Messiah. That would have been the pinnacle of motherhood, to be the mother of the Messiah. It was something that many young girls perhaps talked about. And and, uh, the, the key thought here, that she was ready to be used in that way, is very important, and certainly, uh, as the Spirit confirmed to Elizabeth, this is what was taking place in this greeting. So Mary hears from Elizabeth this affirmation that I think she probably needed right now of the deity of her son, that her son would be the Messiah. And hearing that uh, Elizabeth calls her un- Mary's unborn son the Lord of Elizabeth, which was a huge affirmation. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing these things. So she says... Blessed is she who believed, verse 45, blessed is she who believed, she goes on to say, uh, for there will be a fulfillment of these things which were told her from the Lord. What a statement. There's an important thing here that we need to take a look at. And the important thing is what she says to Mary. Blessed is she who believed. An important key in the text here, in the story, is this idea of faith faith that believes uh, you know we could say I, I i think this is very true god will do what he wants to do with or without me or you he will perform his will either way but in this sort of wonderful blessing uh, there is a a sense to being said to mary that blessing will come upon her because she believed you remember uh, uh We said, uh, I think uh, two weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I forget, that Zacharias heard the uh, angel's uh, declaration of what was going to take place in his life and in Elizabeth's life, and he questioned God. The questioning of God wasn't just, how's it going to take place? He questioned God as though God couldn't pull it off. Lord, I'm too old. Lord, my wife is way too old. Uh, She's barren. Uh, This can't possibly be taking place. And because of that, the angel muted him. And so for nine months, he could not hear nor speak as a kind of a discipline, if you will, on someone who did not believe the word of God. A priest who was challenged with something, yes, but he did not believe in the moment. Here, Mary believed and simply uh, question, how's it going to take place? I don't, I'm not sure how that's going to happen. I mean, you know, I, I don't know a man, she says, and the angel says the Holy Spirit will do that part. And she says, okay, let's, let's do this. She was on board. So blessed is she who believed because of faith. I want to say today that blessing then comes upon Mary in various ways, in many ways, as God performs this work in her life. And I... I don't think it's wrong for us to say that blessing is something that only comes to all of us if we have faith without doubting. I know that because James tells us that in James chapter 1. What does he say? For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. So doubting faith doesn't work with God. I need to say that to all of us, to remind us, because this morning we sang praises. And I was thinking about this, that when we offer praise to God, when we sing praises to God or speak praises to God as what's happening in our text, this is an affirmation, first of all, of our faith. Usually we say when we sing, we're, a, we're a, ascribing praise to God for who he is and how great he is and how wonderful we adore him with what we're saying. And that's all true. I adore the Lord this morning for his greatness and his grace in my life. But it has to begin with an affirmation of faith. Praise without faith isn't praise and it isn't received by God. Have you ever thought about that? I know why, because of he- Hebrews 11:6. 6. You need to look at this verse or write it down. Because here's what the author says there. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. And so we can simply insert, it's also then impossible to praise him. If you can't please him with your life, you certainly can't praise him. It goes on to say, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those uh, who uh, seek him, who diligently seek him. So believing that he is, and in those two little words is packed, so much, obviously, we can go to, uh, you don't need to turn, but you can go there later on, uh, Colossians chapter 1, uh, Hebrews chapter 1, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 22, and you can see exactly who he is. And, and if you don't believe that he is in all that encompasses who he is, then praise is, is going to fall short from the ears of God. Mary had faith to believe, and she's being affirmed in that. Uh, Blessed is she who believed. And I want to just tell you that I'm so thankful for those around me that I know who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's made all the difference in your life. That's why I said, I think, a week or two ago that if you don't believe everything about Jesus, then you don't believe in Jesus. You can't have parts of him and then throw away what you don't like. And that's happening a lot across our country. Offering praise is so important. So Mary then responds to this wonderful praise in verse 46. And Mary said, so she's going to now, uh, it's called the Song of Mary. It it obviously must have been sung at some point later. I don't think Mary sang it on the spot. Uh, She may not have been a musician, but she certainly recited some incredible words. Matter of fact, it has a pattern to it, much like the prayer of Hannah, Remember Hannah who didn't have a child and she prayed and begged God for a child in in 1 Samuel chapter 1? And when God answered her prayers, Hannah gave this uh, tremendous praise prayer in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. And this has much similarity to that, but this is Mary's own solo. So let's uh, take a look at what it has to say and how it relates to you and I today. And Mary said... He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the the imagination of their hearts. And he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. But he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So we have this interesting song and uh, there's much packed into this. And I want to try to unpack this and then apply some of these things as they come to the surface here. But certainly as she begins to sing this tremendous song called The Magnificat, she begins by saying, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And right off the top, she begins by letting us know that there is a unique uh, difference between soul and spirit as she even identifies this. We're composed of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Uh, there's debate about soul and spirit in many uh, psychological, sci- psychiatry books and different uh, those philosophy books, those who are thinkers and so on. And there's much discussion about that, but I'll just be a simple-minded person and say this. The soul is an inner part of us that is called by God to repent. The soul is not my voice. It's not my intellect. Uh, The soul is deeper than that. It's the very essence of who I am. It's that which you cannot see and which is not necessarily manifested. My soul is that which responds to the voice of God. So if I couldn't speak or hear, I might still hear his voice in my soul and respond to him. It's something that's unique to us. It's how we're created different from any other being. My spirit is the expression of my soul. My spirit sings and speaks and thinks and processes and is emotional and all the things that I can project. And so when she says my soul magnifies the Lord, that's the internal aspect. But my spirit then rejoices in God, my savior. It it, it announces what's going on in my soul. And she begins that way, and then she says, the first thing she says in verse 48, he has regarded me. It's the first thing she says, and he has regarded me. I always have to pause in that phrase, he has regarded. It says he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. So she identifies herself in the text for how she thinks about herself. I don't know how you uh, think about yourself. I've always said to you in in public that I'm a very proud prideful person and I'm sure that some of you could match me maybe maybe not in pride it's not something to brag about it's sin pride has always been something I've had to battle with and as she uh, announces to the Lord he has regarded me she identifies how she thinks of herself not in a prideful way she's just saying I'm kind of a on the bottom of the totem pole I'm kind of at the bottom of the ladder socially I'm just a maidservant I'm no one special. I'm I'm no one that should be regarded, but he's regarded me. And in saying that, it it sort of opens up the door for all of us to examine ourselves and say, if the Lord Jesus Christ has revealed himself to you, he has regarded you. And I think that's an incredible thing to have to say to the Lord. Lord, you've regarded me. Thank you. Thank you for finding me and seeking me out. Aren't you glad for that? If he, if he thought you had to arrive at some point, earn some brownie points with him, or you know, uh, go through a bunch of hoops to sort of make yourself better that he might speak to you, uh, we wouldn't be able to say this, but Mary allows us to realize on the page that if that's true for her, then it's also true for you and for me. I'm glad about that. He has regarded me, the lowly state of, uh, the lowly state of his maidservant. Uh, interesting that... Uh, The Catholic Church holds her in such a high place. And I want to remind us today, well, actually, I was watching uh, uh, some songs the other day on Pandora, and a title came along, and under the title it said, the song being sung to the Queen of the Apostles. And I thought, no, Mary's not a Queen of the Apostles. Mary was born in the line of David. She was born under the curse of sin. Mary is a sinner, was a sinner, just like you and I are. And some folks don't want to accept that. Uh, She was a sinner who was in the good grace of God, used by him. And the whole key here is that she was ready by her life to be used in the moment. Humble, obedient, willing. And those are amazing qualities in our day that are never honored. Holy, humble, obedient, a learner. And God was able to use her. He has regarded me. Second thing she says in verse 49, he has done great things for me. (laughs) Great things for me. I love that phrase. I want to just say this, whatever she's thinking about when she says that, I can say this and she would agree with me if she was here. There's nothing greater that God could do or has done than send his son to be your savior. There's nothing greater than God has done. Parting the waters for for Egypt, uh, you know, whatever he's done miracle-wise, nothing is greater than the fact that he has sought you out to lead you into salvation by his his good grace. Mary uh, would have thought about being the chosen vessel to bear the, the child. That would be an amazing thing to even process, I'm sure, for her. But all the great things that's happening in her life, salvation and his spirit within for you and I, is the most amazing work of God. I was thinking about uh, the power of the Spirit who uh, lives in us, who impregnated Mary with the Holy One. And uh, this same Spirit doesn't change. This is the Father and the Son do not change, neither does the Holy Spirit. And So the Holy Spirit's living in you. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. He has then regarded you. He has regarded you. He has done great things for you this morning. I hope that you give all praise to the Lord for that. The Holy Spirit in my life does a number of things. We know that. He convicts of sin. I'm thankful for that. He convicts of righteousness. I wouldn't know right from wrong if it wasn't for him. He convicts of judgment. He keeps me out of sin by reminding me of that. He guides us into all truth and he glorifies the Lord Jesus through us. He even makes intercession for us when we don't know how to pray, Paul says. He has done great things for you, hasn't he? If you don't know Christ, these are things that are done in our lives when we gave our lives to him, and our lives are changed because of that, and our lives are eternally destined for heaven, changed because of this. And we praise God. Verse 50, his mercy is on me. She says it this way, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So she's reminding us of that. And certainly that's true that we should have a sense of the awesomeness of God. His mercy is on those who recognize that. uh, And we should because, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote about that in uh, chapter 9 of Romans, verse 15 and 16, when he was quoting the Lord. And here's what the Lord said. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion so that it is not of him who wills nor of him who runs, but it's of God who shows mercy. And so mercy that comes from God is strictly from him. And it's something that's out of the well of his vast reservoir of his goodness. Mercy flows on those. Paul wrote it this way in Ephesians 2, uh, 4 and 5. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Dear friend, this is such an amazing thing today, to just remind us what happened to Mary and the fact that she's saying your, great, your mercy is on me uh, is something that all of us need to understand. It comes through a relationship, but we do hold the Lord in, in high regard for who he is because his mercy is given. It's given out of love but only given to those who are listening. His grace then comes out of that, flows out of that mercy moment and saves us. I'm spending some time here because I'm thinking about something particular, and it's back in Hebrews chapter 12. And it's about a man called Esau. You remember the story of Esau and Jacob, the the firstborn brother of Jacob, they argued much. Esau was a rough dude and Jacob was a bit fair, more fair in his life. Esau was a hunter. Jacob uh, was more of a house guy at that time of his life. And so uh, Esau comes home and he's uh, starving from hunting. His uh, brother is in the kitchen and he says, make me some, some food. I want some of that food you're cooking. And uh, Jacob, uh, as a deceiver, says, uh, I'll trade your birthright for a meal. (laughs) At the time, Esau didn't think a thing about it. Not a problem for me. Give me the steak. And so uh, a contract was was taking place that Esau wasn't thinking about. He's just hungry. But Jacob held him to that. You gave your word. You said you'd trade. He probably went home and wrote it down in a contract. And he probably forged Esau's name for all we know. I I don't know. But in the story here, what we're looking at now is a a record of Esau. And out of this text, first we're reading in verse 14, that we should pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Remember we said that grace flows out of God's mercy. Uh, God Uh, It says here, uh, lest any root of bitterness would spring up and cause trouble, because bitterness certainly can negate grace. And by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Over the years of my life, I have read and read and read and read that. Trading off the mercy and grace of God for something else that will just feel better in the moment or satisfy you for the days you're living in now. It's somebody who has full awareness of of the grace and mercy of God. Somebody who knows the truth and says, right now, I just really don't care about that. I'm going to do this. And when we do that, we put ourselves in a position where, seriously, we can wind up like Esau, where it says he sought, uh, he, he tried to have mercy, he tried to have this grace on his life. He wanted this uh, birthright returned to him. He sought it diligently with, diligently with tears. The problem was, he didn't seek it through mercy. He didn't seek it through repentance, we're told in the word, which then brings mercy and then grace into his life. Maybe that would have helped back in the day. But all his life, he was seeking for what he gave away, but not seeking it through repentance. And there are some in our world today, unlike Mary, who has God's mercy on her life. But there are some of us today, I think, who are living in in our lives in such a way that we go to church every week We know the truth. We read the word. We've been told over and again the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And even though we know those things and read those things and may even profess those things, we find ourselves trading off what we know for something else that feels better in the moment. Maybe it's a person. Uh, Lord, I love you, but I I want this person in my life. I know you say I shouldn't marry this person or be with this person, but I really like them. Maybe they'll change. And so we plunge into our relationship at the risk of exchanging the truth we know for the lie. I'm not getting amens because I know I'm stepping on all of our toes, including mine. But in the day and age we live, I've got to be honest. And I've got to say what is true, and I'm saying this in love because I'm concerned for anyone today who may have made a decision like that in your life and you're still going through your life not getting the fact that repentance is your only way back in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's still waiting to pour out his mercy and grace, but only to the repentant. So the gospel can't just be inherited. It can't just be absorbed. It can't just be something you get from being here every week. It has to be something that you understand between you and God is only this personal way of finding relationship with him. And that's through a heart that says, Lord, I am a sinner in need of a savior. And we repent. And then his grace is poured out. So Mary must have had a heart of repentance to begin with. She understood she was a sinner. She was low in life and she didn't deserve anything, but she's pouring her heart out and mercy was on her. Verse 51, he has shown strength, it says in our text, and he has scattered the proud. You know, Mary would have known as a young girl, would have known some of the history of her people. She would have known God's discipline and judgment over the Israelites uh, in the past. Uh, she certainly would have known about Moses as most Jews did and his opposition to his leadership that was always a struggle and how God judged uh, certainly she uh, would have understand uh, would have understood the history of the kings of Israel who messed things up and those who were good kings and Judah's kings and so on those righteous and those unrighteous but with this statement that she's saying it's also prophetic it's also about her own day So when she says he has shown strength and scattered the proud in just a few, just a few short years, Herod the Great is going to die. I think God's going to take him out. Uh, The, uh, those who ruled in Rome, uh, the Caesars of Rome came and went. uh, But Christianity and the word of God stands today. God scatters the proud. Uh, today uh, Israel is looking at a war most likely with Iran and we all know that's brewing and it's probably going to happen and much is taking place even today. God will move and scatter the proud and he will pave the way and he did pave the way for his son to come. So this morning, how does it relate to me? Well, we believe, I believe that what has been prophesied yet to take place is going to happen. So we ended last week by saying Jesus Christ said he's going to come back. Is he going to come back? Yes, he's going to keep his word. But I base that on what he's already done. I base that on the, on the story that we have and, and all the examples that we have of what he's done in the past and how prophecies were fulfilled. And even this prophecy has, is ringing true for us as we read it today. And if God keeps his word then, he certainly is going to keep his word today. And I stand on that. He has shown his strength and scattered the proud. Praise God. Praise God. Verse 52, he has dethroned the mighty and exalted the lowly. Again, we're talking about this young girl who's saying these things and going through her mind has to be something that's prompting these phrases. She's not just drawing them out of the air. What is she saying? She's saying he has, he has uh, dethroned the mighty. Uh, she has examples. Moses with Pharaoh. Uh, she has that to hang on to. Uh, Daniel and the Chaldean and the, and the Persian kings. Think about Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who, uh, you know, had those dreams, and, and uh, he's going to kill all the, uh, all the intelligent guys if they don't give the dream, and Daniel uh, glows wonderfully there and gives the dream. The second dream he has in chapter uh, 4 of Daniel, and the fact that in that dream he's describing himself being judged by God, and Daniel stands in his presence and says, okay, king, let me tell you what your dream was. God's going to judge you. <laughs> You can imagine Daniel saying that in the face of a mighty king. And then God sends the king out in the woods on all fours. And he eats grass and acts like he's completely insane and does that for, what, seven years. Then he comes back and he's returned back to normalcy and back to his kingship. And that's an amazing story. But Mary has that to hang on to, that God will do that if he needs to. But certainly... uh, the future, and what God's going to do in the future is going to take place. Jesus Christ came, and this is what Mary didn't really understand yet. Jesus Christ came. We can look back and see it. Philippians 2 tells us that he left his royalty, took on human flesh, came as a, as a servant, born from a maidservant, comes in quiet and, and, and meek and lowly. Uh, in a place uh, in Bethlehem, uh, a place that's really of no fame uh, and has nothing that proclaims who he is except the angels in heaven that do that in the story and and that's about it. There's no headlines. But he comes and he leaves all that behind for him to be the savior that he's going to be in our life. So his... his uh, He doesn't come with authority and power. He comes by his goodness and his grace, which uh, is an amazing thing because this is how he calls us to himself. And this is what he does. He calls us by that very quiet presence as he shows us his hands and his side and says, I paid a price for you. No one understood at the time except a very few. And that's what I've done for you. But he's going to return, as we said. He's gonna return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's gonna come back. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. He's going to come back. You need to be watching and be ready. One other thing here. It says he he has filled the hungry. He has filled the hungry. Verse 53. She's still uh, talking about the wonder of him. He's filled the hungry. Uh, She's she's, uh, thinking of Isaiah 55, maybe, but uh, we'll look at Matthew 5, 6, because for us, Jesus said this to us: Blessed are those who what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you have, as Nick said earlier, if you have an emptiness, if there's something in your life that's missing, if you feel as though the pieces aren't fitting together, if you feel like things are coming up empty, there's troubles and trials and heartaches that just seem to not make sense to you and life just doesn't have the joy that you wish it had, then you've got to go back and you've got to look and see and and realize that there's someone waiting for you to discover that he has the answers for your life. He is the hope that changes everything. He's the joy that comes from the soul of your life that will change the externals of your life. It's Jesus Christ. Christ the Lord, and he's coming. He fills the hungry. He satisfies longing hearts. There's an old chorus. Those of you my age will know it. I won't have you sing it, but you will in your hearts. Think about this. He loves, he saves, he keeps, he satisfies this longing heart of mine. How many of you know that? Uh, only the Baptists raised their hand. <laughs> only the former Baptists raised their hand. <laughs> I'm so sorry. All you Presbyterians and whatever else. Sorry about that. We share a joy in certain songs. And that one came to my mind this week. It goes on to say, uh, say this He satisfies this longing heart of mine. He fills my mind to overflowing with this joy and peace divine. Uh, he guides, He guards. He watches over me. He slumbers not nor sleeps for he is my glorious Savior and he loves, he saves, and he keeps. I guess I'll have to teach that to you sometime. John and I will teach it to you. He has filled the hungry. Got to take you to this last phrase. He has remembered his mercy Upon Israel. This is very important. Because there are so many uh, theologians today who want to transfer uh, all that uh, took place in the Old Testament with Israel and Judah and uh, sort of say that the church has replaced some of those prophecies. And uh, this comes from Mary's mouth, uh, introducing the New Testament day. And she's making a statement that's very important for us to understand He has remembered His mercy upon Israel. So Mary is thinking about certain things. I'm going to just read some of these to you. You can mark it down or not. But she would be reflecting on certain passages that uh, she would perhaps have known. Uh, Something that might have been fresh in her mind uh, was the writing of Jeremiah. And in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, uh, he uh, refers to uh, the nation of Israel. And he talks about the remnant of Israel will be saved by saying this uh, in verse 2. The people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. And again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. Uh, Verse 6, for there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, arise and let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Sing for gladness for Jacob and shout among the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise. Uh, Verse 6, behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth. And so on, verse 9, they shall come with weeping, with supplications. I will lead them, and I will cause them to walk by the rivers of waters in a straight way in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. If you go on and read, it just continues to go on and read and talks about uh, God's mercy upon them and upon Ephraim. Uh, And then if you look at verse 31 of that same text, in chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Uh, My covenant, which they broke, Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all, all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin and I will remember their sins no more. Folks, that hasn't happened yet. Yes, they went back in their land, uh, uh, as she would reflect on that. Yes, after that, the exiles came back. But that did not happen with the exiles. And then they were dispersed again by Rome in 70 AD and so on. And they still have not had that happen. But it's going to happen. I just, uh, uh, if I, I would just, I won't read it, but I'll just draw you to uh, uh, Romans 10 and 11. Just read through and see what Paul says about the renewal of God, turning his attention back to Israel. It's going to happen. And so when we take all these things that Mary is saying here, she doesn't even know that story. Uh, Let me tell you what she did not foresee. When she talks about he has remembered his mercy, here's what she did not see. Mary did not see the rejection of the Son of God, especially by her own people. She did not foresee the hatred of Jewish religious leaders for her child. She did not foresee the cross or the grave Uh, for her son. Uh, She did not foresee uh, him rising from the dead. Uh, She did not foresee the great uh, declaration of the gospel that is the life-changing thing. She was still thinking he was going to come and install himself as king of kings and lord of lords, as this baby growing up to be a man and the king of Israel. But he has not yet done that. And she didn't foresee this uh, sort of interlude of who he is as this grace giver to us, who gave his life for us. And so now today we look back and we see what she did not see. And we're celebrating that today. And we're here today because of that. So when Mary says he has remembered his mercy, yes, he has. Because if he didn't offer his, his life on the cross, there would be no mercy for anyone. Oh, he has remembered his mercy. She just didn't understand how it was going to flesh out. Her tr- it's truth. It's just not complete. Today, you're under his mercy because God has chosen to love you and give his life for you. And his mercy and grace and goodness is being offered to you in these days. So our takeaway from all of this is this. The Lord remembers his word. He promises that the promises he's given in his word, they relate to us and they will absolutely be fulfilled in his timing. And he says that to us according to his plan. There is uh, the fact of his second coming that's coming near. That's why when I do a funeral or when any of us do a funeral, we say these things because it's not just a funeral sermon. This is for us today to leave here with. Listen to the words of the Lord through the Apostle Paul. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, die, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. That is what we're looking forward to. He came at Christmas time. Thank God that he did that for us. And what he offers us and what she has to say is so challenging and so true and I want her life to be something that we can emulate in our own lives, to be ready when the Lord moves in our own life. And you don't know what God's going to ask you to do tomorrow. But be ready so he can call on you to use you for his glory. And in the meantime, we're waiting for his return. Christmas is nothing but a sign of what's coming, not what just happened. We're looking forward to what's coming next, aren't you? When you celebrate and have lights in the tree and gifts that you're exchanging, that's great. But that that is so small compared to what's coming. (laughs) And the greatest gift that can ever be received is the gift of salvation. So Christmas, if nothing else, should point us to his great gift for us and the fact that he wants to give us that gift before he returns. Because if you wait to open the gift and he comes while you're waiting, and you don't receive his gift of salvation, you will not be ready. That's serious. I don't know how many times God will ever give me or any of us to offer this truth. I don't know who's going to hear this for the, who knows, 10th time, the 100th time, who you are sitting here today, but I do know this. The Lord came when no one was expecting it, and he's coming again in the very same way. It won't be a sign that you see in the sky. You won't have time to run and get on your knees and repent. It will be too late. And you can scoff and say it won't happen, but all the things that we've looked at today, many of these things have happened, and there's history to prove it, and what's amazing to me is that we can just negate all that and go on in our life and think that the days will be the same. But you're watching and I'm watching the world changing as we sit here. Because he is coming. And he's preparing the world for that very thing. Please hear him as he pleads with you today. And give him praise because you believe. Let's pray. Lord, your word is true. It's good. It's real. It's not distorted by phony reporters and those who are trying to rush to get a story out to tell us because of time and deadlines. These are truths taught and lives that have died and bled blood over the truths that they know that we might have these truths for us today. Lord, our history is... Seemingly long for many, but in my mind, Lord, it seems so short. As you've described, that life for almost all of us is nothing but a vapor. It's here for a short time, and then it's gone. And Lord, many of us who are older can attest that the days have gone by like a blur. Many of us are just hanging on to the days that come, hoping we have another one. But in light of all of this, you are coming back. And you're going to split the eastern sky. It will be a complete surprise. And will you find us ready, O Lord? May we take to heart these who were faithful in dark times. May we be just as faithful in the light times. Please help us this week to be that. We commit ourselves fresh to you in our our hearts. We ask you... move over us may your grace and mercy be kind and gracious to us today may we know of your presence and may someone who does not know you today respond to that quiet call from the from the one who is all truth we ask your blessing now in our lives as we go thank you for your time with us lord your presence here with us we have tried to magnify you through your word and pray that you have received blessing from us May our hearts be true to you now. In Christ's name we pray. And in the days ahead, we say amen. God bless you.